vegetarianism. Um, the co-founders of Unity were vegetarians. They, um, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, both uh, had adopted this way of living, and um, yet it's not a requirement for anyone who follows the teachings of Jesus. Their main uh, reasoning behind it, as, as far as I can ascertain, is uh, one thing has to do with they felt that um, not killing included animals. Also, um, they found for themselves that when they left meat out of their diet, they uh, actually their bodies were healthier. So, like one teacher was asked, will giving up meat make me more spiritual? And the answer was, no, you are spiritual already. As you understand that, you may make different decisions about what you eat and how, how you live. So, um, main thing is, uh, there are no outer rules imposed upon the people who follow the teachings of unity. We're not a cult. We're not trying to control how you think, how you act, how you vote, any of that. Uh, we're all about empowerment, and so uh, no one is ever told. We present the principles. No one's told how they should apply those. That is completely up to each one. And about voting, the one thing I say about voting is um, always think in terms of voting for, not against. It will just feel better. So that, that's really the only advice that we have about that. So the um, three main topics I wanted to uh, focus on today are um, God's will, or the will of God, uh, the unforgivable sin, and God's grace. Let's see, how many minutes do we have? Larry said, I don't know how you're going to get all that in. Well, I said, maybe we'll stay two and a half, the revealing word. And it says, God's will is always perfection and all good for all creation. Perfect health in mind and body, abundance of every good thing, including joy, peace, wisdom, and eternal life. God does not will suffering. Of the second one. If man experiences error and inharmony, he brings them upon himself by his failure to harmonize his thoughts, words, and acts with the Lord or divine law. Now, maybe in uh, a previous approach that, that you may have had, about the nature of God, and because this is what comes in and is very important for us to uh, be clear on before we even think about God's will. Uh, if we've had the, uh, a teaching that's been promoted in our, our culture, our upbringing, our tradition, whatever, that um, is similar to the Old Testament um, view of God. In other words, Everything is attributed to God. Um, rain and drought. Good crops and plagues. Um, able to bless and curse. Create and destroy. See, that is what we might refer to as an Old Testament approach to God. 
um, there's a little boy who in studying uh, and hearing about God he, in the Old Testament, then in the New Testament, he said, boy, God sure got better when he got older. <laughs> because, you see, the law of Moses had, for example, not keeping the Sabbath as something that was punishable by death. In fact, there is uh, an account in um, Numbers of a man who was gathering sticks and um, found to be doing that and was taken to Moses and Aaron and the congregation. And this is my bottom line. Quick, get to the bottom end. And God said, kill him. I mean, that was it. And he was killed for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. But then we find in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, that there's a whole, a whole other understanding of what law and principle uh, is involved in, in Sabbath. So, you know, when he was walking through the fields, there's that account, he and his followers, and they picked corn, and they were taken to task that they were uh, going against the law. He made that wonderful statement, freeing statement, for all of us, and that is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus had a different understanding of the nature of God. And Unity's teachings about the nature of God, we believe, are based on what we sense is, is Jesus' uh, understanding and teaching. So God is love, joy, peace, um, wisdom, and God does not will suffering for any. The wonderful parable of the prodigal son that um, is a favorite of so many of us, that it shows the nature of God is always welcoming, even when we make decisions that seem to take us into a feeling of being cut off from home or from, from our source. Um, the will of God and God's will for you is to express your higher self, your true nature. You, and when you fulfill your true nature, you fulfill the will of God. In other words, sometimes we get the thought that God's will is, is about something of this world. S uh, something tangible, some specific something, like where we live, who we marry, how we raise our kids, how we, where we work, you know, on, on and on and on. Um, those are the result of our direction of will. The will of God has to do with the highest ideas being held for us, you see. So what God wills for us is consistent with the nature of God. Meaning, love, peace, joy, etc., etc. So when we fulfill our true nature, we fulfill the will of God. Um, let's hold on that one just a moment, because I'll speak to it in just a bit. But when we... When we are fulfilling our true nature, when we are understanding and expressing our true nature, then th we are expressing God's will. 
that is expressing God's will. It's not about turn right, turn left, vote this way, don't go that way. You see, it's not about those things. Those things come as a result of our tuning in to our understanding of God's will, or in many cases, misunderstanding of God's will. So if God is love, then of course God's will is for love to be expressed in our lives. If God is wisdom, then God's will is that wisdom be expressed in us, through us, as us. If God is abundance, that's which not only creates but sustains and maintains all of creation, then God's will must be that we have abundance. Whatever that means to us, our will chooses what it means to us. But God's will is that overall, what should we say, like an archetypal idea of wisdom. So God's will isn't about things of this world, cars, homes, etc. Again, I want to underline this in my thinking. Those things are the result of our will. Okay? Um, my first, uh, uh, one of my first teachers was Vera Tate, and um, she was a teacher of lessons in truth. And um, this quote is from her. I love this quote. God's will is that each species of creation shall fulfill itself according to its own divine plan or perfection. So it's a, a pattern that we have within us, the pattern of perfection, which is unique to us. It's the divine perfection that's unique to us, unique to each and every expression. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so we're going to move into the unforgivable or unpardonable sin. Let me back up. When you think about God's will, you know, we use will in a, in a legal term, don't we? It's what's left to someone, you know, what somebody wants someone to have, right? Okay, God's will, think about this, is in a sense your divine legacy, your divine legacy. And when we are aligned with our divine legacy, we are doing God's will. You see that? These three things I'm talking about this morning have meant so much to me in life, my life because I had a very traditional early upbringing. And I heard these spoken about in very different ways. But when I understand thinking are forgiven or erased from our thinking and feeling, all sin is first in the mind and forgiveness is a change of mind or, uh, or repentance. Change of mind or repentance. Um, Charles Fillmore, co-founder of Unity, said, Transgression of the law brings its own punishment. We are not punished for our sins, but by our sins. Now that is huge. That difference, that difference in approach is just huge. You see, we are always having the effects of our choices. And when we have an effect that we don't want, 
it's not a punishment from God. It's an opportunity, if we will see it, it's an opportunity for us to realize that what we have been doing, thinking, feeling, how we've been acting, whatever, isn't bringing the results that we want. And it's not a punishment. It's just an opportunity for us to make a different choice. To make a different choice. The word sin is an old archer's term, we're told. And that it simply means missing the target. Missing the bullseye. Missing the goal of what we want to be and experience in life. So all sin, as the previous quote said, all sin is first in mind. All error is first a belief. A mistaken belief. And all forgiveness is the result of a change of mind. Um, Unforgiveness, so when we think about unforgivable sin, it's only unforgivable as long as we keep doing whatever we've been doing. Does that make sense? Because we aren't allowing for the freeing love to flow. So it isn't that it's unforgiveness held outside of us from some deity, but it's an unforgiveness in a sense that's like our blockage to the flow. We forgive sin in ourselves every time we resolve to think and act according to divine law. In other words, the forgiveness is instantaneous. The moment we make a different choice, it's like we stop doing that thing we've been doing, thinking that thing we've been thinking, holding that hard thought we've been holding, and we let the love flow. Transgression of the law brings its own punishment. We are not punished for our sins or mistakes, but by them. We are the ones that forgive ourselves. There is no, from unity's standpoint and from my developed understanding, as I pray and meditate, I understand this more and more, that there is no God outside of us that's holding something against us. There is no deity somewhere that's miffed because we didn't do something. Uh, we forgive ourselves because when you think about it, we are the only ones that keep remembering the mistakes. Now we see them as mistakes, you know, 2020 hindsight. We are the only ones that keep remembering those. And we are the only ones that can put those in perspective. I like this thought to use in my life that forgiveness is as close as my having a change of perspective. It's just that close. When I can switch from it being 
something that has me eternally damned to, okay, I've learned something through that. If there's an ease that takes place, I can forgive myself. I can see myself in a little different light. So we're the ones to forgive ourselves because we're the ones that have held the hard thought against ourselves. We're the ones that keep remembering the mistake. There's no no big book somewhere in the sky and we're you know we say up but it depends where how the earth is turning where is up where is down right so where is up um no big book that everything's written down in you know those that's a childhood santa claus kind of belief that sometimes we keep but when we get a different perspective you see that's when forgiveness can flow God does not hold mistakes against us any more than the principle of mathematics holds our errors of the past against us when we didn't know the principle better. Um, and I, I love that analogy of mathematics because sometimes people have the thought, well, everything, every wrong I have done I've got to go and correct. And I don't hold that. I, d I don't see anything in principle that supports that belief any more than the principle of mathematics requires that you go back and recalculate every mistake that you made. No, new understanding immediately clears up all old mistakes. You like that thought? I believe that's based on principle. I truly believe. So, if we like to use the thought of God's forgiveness, then think about it in the light of what happens when we learn more about some uh, physically and in, in unity's understanding, the unforgivable sin or speaking against the Holy Spirit is our denial of the presence of God within us. And when we think of ourselves as puny, poor, miserable, etc., etc., we are repudiating the very Spirit of God in us, expressing as us. We are denying the life and the activity and the flow of the all that is. Unity thinks in terms of Holy Spirit as the whole Spirit of God, the holy activity of God, not some static something or someone, but it is an activity of God, the movement of God. So Holy Spirit, whole Spirit, Holy activity is how we think of God in action. So maybe in the past you were a little bit like me and you kind of wondered about this. What is the sin that is so unforgivable? Like how many angels can dance on the head of a needle? Third, you see, it is an erroneous, mistaken belief and it's why we get the wrong answers in life. That's why it feels 
as if it's unforgiven. But mistaken beliefs are not forever. They're cleared up the moment we understand truth about anything. The only sin against the Holy Spirit is our resistance to the holy activity of God in us, through us, and as us. And that we can always change. The flow is waiting, you see. And the moment we let go the resistance to it, we are forgiven. Just like that. There's no penance to do. There's no standing on the head so many times. It is immediate.